Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're having a great day. Um, we, I don't have an image for you this morning from any of my family, but we do have a special guest this morning since uh, we have been referring to him um, in some of the sessions. We are joined this morning by Larry the Cucumber. So uh, uh, this, was, this was given to me just now uh, by one of the camp families. So uh, this is uh, something we will uh, try to use and remember. So I want a prayer this morning. And uh, uh, just a special prayer. Um, I'm sure this has been shared, but um, uh, many of you know um, the, Dawes, the Daw family's youngest uh, uh, child, Sarah. She is uh, right now at Children's Hospital in uh, Columbus. Just last night during the service, had some pain and stuff, and uh, took her to the hospital in here in Mount Vernon and said uh, it was an appendicitis. Took her down to Children's Hospital. She's actually going to have her appendix out uh, here in the next few hours. So I want to have prayer for that as well as uh, just the services today. All right, so let's pray together. Father, thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for being with us here today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your spirit, for your provision, for your strength, for your ability. Uh, thank you this morning for your spirit. I want to pray for Sarah this morning and uh, even Rania, she's there with them right now and that, Lord, you would uh, provide your strength, your peace. We thank you that you're going to have just the right people in place there for that surgery, that uh, the doctors, the nurses, the anesthesiologists, the techs, everybody there in the support role. We just pray to pray your, uh, your touch on that process and your healing and your speedy recovery and uh, most of all, just your presence there. And we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, being with us today. And we thank you for what we're learning in the Word. And we just are here with hearts wide open this morning for all you want to say to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. So um, we are back to 1 Corinthians 12. And we are looking at kind of the final, well, not the final. Tomorrow we'll look at actually the final little section of the chapter. Um, but today we're looking at verses 22 through 26. And... Um, that is a part of the, the uh, discussion about one body. So again, just a quick review. First 11 verses deal with the gifts of the Spirit, and the big message is that there is a variety. He expresses himself through us in a variety of ways. There are many gifts, uh, many expressions. It is all him flowing through us in unique ways that he ministers to us. And I've seen that on the grounds this week. Haven't you, haven't you noticed this week, even on the grounds, that uh, Jesus is ministering through such a great variety of ways? It's, it's an amazing thing to watch how God just kind of ministers through the body in these special ways through each of us. So that's first 11 verses, all the gifts of the Spirit, Jesus flowing through us, he's the source. Then he talks in verses 12 through 27 about the body. And so we looked uh, two days ago at there's many members many members. We're not just cookie cutters. God has placed each one of us very especially, and uh, he's working through us individually. So very, you, you are special. That's, remember what Larry says, God made you special, loves you very much. And so that, that's important to know. You've been placed. You've been placed here today. You've been placed here this week. You have been carefully selected, strategically placed, and you are of great value to, to Jesus Christ, to God the Father, and to the kingdom. But then he just says, I don't want you to be too individualistic. I don't want you to get too wrapped up in the individualism. So remember the second part of this discussion about the body. There's many members, 
but there is one body. And you can see that message repeated oftentimes. For instance, verse 12, the body is one, has many members. So these two things, always dynamic. Many members, but one body. Verse 27, again, we'll look at tomorrow. You are the body of Christ, one body, and members individually. So again, one body, many members. So we began talking yesterday about the one body idea, that uh, we are all knit together into this oneness. And one of the components we started to look at yesterday is that we really need each other. Did you realize um, sometime yesterday how much you needed, we, we need the body? Did you say to anybody yesterday, I, I, we really need you here? And that's not, a, that's not a strange thing. God built us to need each other, right? God, bu God built us and designed us to be interdependent upon one another. Jesus himself became dependent in becoming fully human. Although he depended on the Father for everything, God, God the Father placed him within a family, he needed his mom, placed him in intimate relationships with people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. He really needed the disciples that night. He was praying, could you not watch and pray with me? So this idea of vulnerability, love, love is relationship and vulnerability, and say, I'm willing to let you into my life, and I'm willing for my life to become interdependent with yours. You say, now, wait a minute, John, we talked about this yesterday. I thought Jesus is the one that meets all of our needs. That's true. Absolutely. Jesus is our answer, right? Man, everybody with me. Yet, he always ministers to us and meets our needs often through each other. So all the time yesterday, almost many or most of the things that God did for me yesterday, he did through you or somebody here on this grounds. Prepared meals, he gave encouraging. I don't know about you, I was very ministered. Anybody, was anybody ministered to yesterday? Did you feel ministered to yesterday? Did God just drop that out of the sky? Did you just get this blessing from heaven, just boom, just kind of dropped right on you? I'm almost sure that it came through somebody. I'm almost sure you were ministered to by Jesus Christ yesterday through his spirit because somebody said, Lord, I'm available, and he, he in them worked through them and touched your life. And that, that happened for me countless, like, I don't know, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one. I, I could do that. I could, I could name dozens of blessings from just, just yet, even this morning, been ministered to through you. So, yes, Jesus is our need, but we need each other. That's, that's one message we looked at yesterday in this one body. So, as Columbo says, but there's one more thing. One more thing. And that is this one more aspect we want to talk about today um, in verses 22 through 26. So let's, let's begin by reading that together, if we can, today. He says this, No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So what we're going to talk about this morning is not only do we need each other, but in the body of Christ, we're, we're going to go beyond just appearances. We're going to go just beyond, beyond just simple appearances. So those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God has composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. 
And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with, with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So this, this one more element has to do that we want to talk about in one body. Not only do we need each other, he ministers through us to one another. But this idea of um, appearances, there's a word. Remember I told you many times repetition is what we pay attention to. If there is a word that's repeated, we kind of take note of that. That sets off a little trigger, and I say there must be something to that. There must be an important idea there. So in the Greek, there's a word that's repeated once in verse, it's in verse 22 and then in verse 23. In the Greek, it's the word, and this is in your notes, it's the Greek word dakeo. Dakeo. Now let me show you where it's at. Verse 22, those members which of the body which seem, everybody see that word in verse 22? The members of the body which seem to be weaker. That's the Greek word dakeo. Now, a form of that same word is used in verse 23. Those members of the body which we think, think, so to seem or to think, that's the Greek word dakeo. There's a number of definitions there. These are in your notes, I think, for dakeo. Um, it can mean to think, to suppose, to imagine, to have or form an opinion, to seem as opposed to reality how something looks from a distance, like the telescope, you know, how it looks from here, but it's really over there, or to be thought of or repeated. So over and over, the word dakeo in the New Testament has this idea of appearances or how things seem. Now, interesting, in verse 22, a little bit further even, uh, I, I won't try to explain this whole Greek construction, but I, I hope you can see up in the left-hand corner is, is, the, is the root of the word dakeo, dakunta. And then there's a word um, huparkane in that, in that in verse 22, which means um, to begin. So literally, actually, it doesn't show up really terrifically in the English translation, not, at least not in the one I have. But literally in verse 22, it would, it would read like this in the Greek. Much rather those members of the body which seem at first or seem at the beginning. So, so what Paul's getting at here, what he's kind of trying to address the Corinthians about is their propensity to make judgments based on first appearances. Now probably the Corinthians are all alone in that, aren't they? The Corinthians are all alone in their propensity to make evaluations based on first impressions. And that's what they were doing. The Corinthians were all about impressions. They were all about um, image. That, that was the whole uh, reason for this uh, thing that was going on in the church where this, they were very cliquish, you know. We'll talk about that in a more in a minute. The, the Corinthian church, this never happens today. The Corinthian church was very cliquish. It was all about which group you're in. It was all about kind of being a who's who in this church, right? They were all about their image, that's why Paul says back in chapter 4 and 5, you guys are puffed up. Remember the puffer fish we talked about the other day? Puffer fish, when it wants to, you know, intimidate, it just kind of makes itself look bigger than it is. So they're always trying to, they're all about these appearances. So because that was their value system, their value system was all about appearances. They wanted to look bigger. And so they were always sizing people up according to their appearances. And their whole thing about their spiritual gifts of being able to speak in languages, they had their little in-group, their little clique at the church, and, and you're only cool if you're a part of our group and have this spiritual gift, and the rest of you are kind of, you know, not too sure about you. 
So he's really emphasizing this. You know, you guys, you're into this judging by first appearances. And he's going, no, I want to tell you the opposite. Those members of the body which seem at first. So this thinking based on immediate impressions and appearances. How much do you and I do that, really? You ever think about that? And maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit would invite me to do that this morning. How much in my life, really, do I walk around and view people or view situations, and I make judgments, I make evaluations based on appearances, and especially first appearances? You ever, you ever think about that? By the way, you do know that um, Satan operates on that principle of appearances, right? So the, the enemy's always deception is, is th think about how much in our culture the enemy is always trying to get us to buy into appearances. Like something looks good, so therefore, hey, come on in, this must be good because it looks good. You know, all advertising is based on that premise, isn't it? All advertising is based on the premise of look at this and how great this is and this will be great for you. And you'll be so happy and your life will be so much better if you just buy this. And isn't that how sin works, right? With temptation, it's always about this, look at this. And if you'll just, and then once you, you find out the real, right? So Satan always operates on that premise. But think about how much in our world we, we oftentimes, I do, all right, I'm just going to be honest this morning, how often do I really just size people up and judge things by appearances? Um, I put this picture because um, about 50% of my travel is through airports. And so, you know, when, when, you're, in, uh, when you're in the airport, um, the, the, you can do several things with your, with your time in the airport. You can be on your phone, which is what like 75% of the people do right now, 80% of the people are, are on the phone, you know, or you can buy the newspaper. Not many people buy the newspaper anymore. You can buy the newspaper, do a crossword puzzle, or you can people watch. Ever people watch? Sit at the mall, sit at the park. Airport is an amazing place to people watch. You just see all these incredible dynamics of people watching. You just kind of sit there, there in, the, in your gate area, and you can just kind of just watch all these people, and you can kind of go... Yeah, I know what kind of person that is. Oh, yeah, I got him figured out. Oh, yeah, I know how exactly how she is. You know, sit around and just do all this. How often do I evaluate somebody's worth by their appearance or by at least a first impression? How often, how much actually do I do that in my own life? How much do I worry about or um, base my life on my own appearance, for example. How much do I base my life on my physical appearance? Again, our whole culture, right, in America is kind of like fixated on that, right? Advertising, um, TV, movies, it's all like this portrayal of what, kind of, what you should look like, right? What kind, of a, what kind of impressions do I make? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. So, you know, I mean, here in America, we, you know, the, the money we spend on clothing, the money we spend on, you know, any manner of whatever cosmetic things and, you know, I don't, I don't want to upset anybody or offend anybody, but, you know, all, all the things we do in our culture is really quite something, really, in America. Think of, think of all the money and time that is spent on just the whole thing of physical appearance. 
And how much do I do that? I mean, I, how much do I get worried about physical appearance? How much do I, am I self-conscious about, I mean, all, we all want to look our nice, obviously, right? But that can become an obsession too. So how much do I worry about this idea of my appearance? Or also think about, for example, even just in social media. Social media is all about making an impression. You know, it's only you want to put your best out there. You, don't, you, you never put your worst picture. You always put your best one. You know what I mean? Anybody ever, I put the picture of the family portrait. Anybody ever go to the studio? How many of you have ever gone to the studio for the family portrait, you know? Or maybe in the yard, you, you know, you just, you know, now, now we got such great cameras on our phones. Like my daughter has this just amazing camera on her phone. It's just like professional photography, you know, camera thing. So, you know, you take the family picture on the phone. I don't know about you all, but when, you know, we've done this before. We, we, uh, when we go get the family picture taken, let's make sure we're color coordinated, right? Did you guys do the color coordination thing, you know? And then you want to make sure everything's straight, you know? And I think, I'm pretty sure one time when we, when we did this, we brought a lint brush to, even to the, to the studio. You bring the hairbrush, you know, just everybody, you know, just right. Then it's, it's amazing when we, uh, is it Portrait Innovations? Is that the name of the place we've been? So there's this place in Nashville called Portrait Innovations that we went to to get the whole family thing done. And nowadays it's all digital, you know? So it's amazing. This lady took like a thousand pictures. I'm exaggerating. Probably like 200, I don't know, 300, just snap, 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 snap. And just all these pictures, pose that, pose that, pose that. And then afterward, you get to sit down at this desk thing with her with this big screen and look at all of them. And then comes this arduous process of the family looking at, and you have to narrow down which poses you want. So it's always an interesting family dynamic when you're sitting there, you know, all of your family members, and, and everybody's looking at how do I look in the picture. You know what I mean? So it's, sometimes it's a little tricky to come to a consensus of which pose, which shot, because in some of them, I don't look good, so I don't like that one, but everybody else is happy with it, but I have to veto that one, right? You know what I mean? Or in other ones, I'm really happy with that, but somebody else doesn't like it. So, you know, it's, it's interesting how my eyes are always going to, how do I look in that one? Because again, this is going to be my Facebook, you know, cover photo. So I want to make sure, you know. So again, th think about how much, I what I'm just pointing out is, you know, I can talk about the Corinthians all day, and these guys were really into appearances, but I have to confess that sometimes I am too. Anybody else? Talk about appearances. I've gotten a lot of advice over the years about ministry, and uh, a lot of people have tried to encourage me, you really need to kind of promote yourself. You know, you, there's a lot of pressure on you as an evangelist, you know, because, you know, obviously you're not a pastor, so... You're not at one place every week. When you come to, you know, a camp psyker or you go to another camp for the first time, you've really got to work hard to make. You only get a, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So you want to make sure you really do good, you know. Make sure you preach your best sermon on the first night, right? I mean, make sure you do it because it's, it's all on you to, like, get called back there. I mean, you know, your livelihood is this. You know, right, Tom? Your livelihood's on you, you, you. 
you got you know it's all about making an impression so you 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 know you better do a nice newsletter and your web you know you really need to update your website you know you really need to figure out ways to connect with people more and you know build your you know make an impression all about impressions so i think you i think you've gotten the picture by this point that the corinthians were all into that the best comparison i can give you of the corinthians the best illustration i can give you is the high school cafeteria. Now, how many of you remember, how many of you remember the high school cafeteria? Anybody go to the high school? So do you remember the high school cafeteria? I don't know if it was like this at your school, but my school there were, um, you know, there's groups at your school. Do you, do you have like certain groups, you know? So in my school, there's like, I don't know, you know, you know there was like, uh, there's the jock guys, we call them the jocks, cheerleaders. Um, there's the, uh, the, the nerd table. Uh, there's the pothead table that was that was at our school. So anyway, we've got all these different groups. But anyway, there's the cool, there's the cool table. It's kind of like this, you know. Not just anybody can sit at the cool table. You have to interview for that, you know. This has to be like you have to be accepted. No, nobody just walks up to the cool table and puts their tray down and says, you know, here I am. You you just don't do that. So you know, in order to be sit at the cool table, you have to be in the cool group. You know, it's just kind of very clickish. It's very, and that's exactly what was going on in this church. I could take you back to chapter one, chapter back, and show you that. Even at the Lord's Supper, the whole thing about the Lord's Supper was they were acting like the high school cafeteria, and they were like. They were saying, no, no, you guys, you guys stay out there. You, you losers stay over there, and there's only certain ones of us here. So, again, the Corinthians were absolutely all about this appearances. But I, I think you understand to get the point this morning, what we're trying to get at is that Jesus is different. Jesus is different. And Jesus' way is different. And there's nothing about him that is the way of the world. The world operates by appearances. Jesus does not. The world evaluates you by your appearance or your worth based on what you can do for us. You know, we, we talked yesterday about we need you. You know, we, we need you. Uh, we, you matter when we need you for something. You know, don't call us. We'll call you. As long as you can do something for us, you really matter to us. And that's the way the world. But Jesus is always the opposite. With Jesus... It's not what you do. It's not that you matter because we need you for something. Again, we, we flipped that yesterday. We really need you around here because you matter to him. And your worth isn't something else besides your appearance. So opposite. And I wonder how many times have I gotten that wrong? Have you ever be, become convicted in your life that I... I evaluated or judged somebody on first appearances, and later on I found I got it all wrong. Anybody? Have you ever got it all wrong? Some of my best friends today, some of my best friends today, people I, I cherish today, were people that, in first impression, I said, I don't like that guy. Or I thought things that were just based on And so maybe the Holy Spirit starts to convict us and get through to us. Don't do that. <laughs> Jesus has a different way. So what happens in verses 23 and 24, if you have your, your scripture there, in verses 23 and 24, he makes three really strong statements to, to get this point across of a reality check. 
there's three really strong contrasting statements that it's kind of like this. The world thinks this way, but the kingdom is this way. This is the way the world operates, but this is the way we operate in the body of Christ and in the kingdom. Three really strong statements that they are reversal. It's like upside down. It's backwards from what you would think. It's the kind of thing the last will be first and all that stuff. First will be last, last will be first. It's flipped. So it's a little difficult, but let me, let me show you what I mean. Go to verse 23, if you would. The first of those in, is when he says this in verse 23. Those members of the body which we think, you know, appearances, we think are less honorable. They're less honorable. He says, on these we bestow greater honor. And it's very clear in the, in the Greek that he's saying this is reverse because you might, we put the words up here, it's in your notes. You can see the root word for, the, the Greek word for honor is time, over there on the right, time. And in the, uh, the less, less honorable is the root for time. You can kind of see it in there, can't you? The A-T-I-M at the beginning, time. The word, when you put a, um, a, a, an A or in Greek, what's, what's the Greek letter for A? Alpha, right. When you put the alpha on the beginning of a word, we call that an, this is more than you want to know, we call that an alpha privative in Greek. When you put an A on the front of, everything, uh, on the front of something, it means the opposite of that. Put an A on the beginning, it means the opposite of. So in the world, there are certain people we view as not honorable, like the opposite of honorable. We say, in other words, the Greek word for Timé means honor, worth, esteem, or value. There are certain people that the world looks at as not honorable, not worthy, no value. That's true, isn't it? There are certain people that we would look at from a worldly view and say, they don't have a lot of value to us. As I shared with you yesterday, maybe at my church in Nashville, there's this whole um, group of recovery ministry guys. And these guys come in and... Uh, from a worldly view, we would say, what, what value do they have to our church? What, what worth do they have to our church? Can they, this is how you always measure the worth of your church members, right? Can't do, are they big givers? Are they big givers? No. Huh. Um, can they teach Sunday school? No. Well, then of what worth are they to our church? So in a worldly view, you say they would be less honorable or without honor or without worth, without value, whatever. But you, you see what he's saying. He says in verse 23, no, those members of the body which we think, appearances, appearances which we think don't have value, these actually have greater value. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. The people in your life that that you would think are the least valuable, he's saying those are the most valuable, actually. That kind of sounds like something Jesus would say, doesn't it? They're the most, literally, we're not just like pretending this is not like, you know, a Pollyanna. You know, think positive. What's the Pollyanna thing? Be glad, you know. Not just think positively. This is like really true. This is what God thinks. This is how God, in God's system, literally, the people that you don't think of as, val as I don't think of as valuable to what I have or what I need, these are the most valuable. So one question for me in my life today would be, who and upon whom do we bestow honor? Who do, who do we honor? Who do we, who do we applaud? Who do we say is great? Who do we just 
exalt? Who, who do we just like wrap our arms around and say, we can't do without you, you know? And again, the, how many times in my life the temptation is those people that can really do something for me, wow, you're great, we need you, hooray, you know? The guy who can score the most runs, the guy that can sink the most baskets, score the most touchdowns, give the most money in the offering, or be the best worker at our church, yay! <laughs> and he's saying it's the opposite. That's incredible to me. So first, that's the first, that's the first contrast. And again, see what he's doing here. He's just making this strong, it's reality check. Listen, you guys, you Corinthians, you guys have gotten so wrapped up into, in the appearances, let's do a reality check. This is what you think, but this is what God thinks, and this is the way it really is. And you're going to find out in heaven. We're going to find out in heaven where the real value was. So the first of those is that we think less honorable, these actually have greater honor or greater value. The second one's a little tricky because I haven't found a very good translation in English. From the, It's a very, very, very complicated um, phrase in Greek in the second part of verse 23, so just bear with me here. If you've got it in your scripture, it says at the end of verse 23, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. That's King James. Maybe yours is a little more clear. Unpresentable parts, at least in our view, have greater modesty. Now, the key to that is in the Greek words. I don't know if you can see down below. I've got the Greek words, ta, askemana, and you, uh, yuske, masuna. So the, the root of that is the, is, the S, is the SXA. Everybody see that in both words? And what he's doing in all these words, he's, he's doing like, he's doing a play on words to show the opposite effect, to show the contrast if that makes sense. So SKA, SK, the SKA root that you can see in both of those words, everybody see that? Okay, the SKA. That word means form. In Greek, that, it kind of means form. So literally, remember, see ta, and then there's an A in front of the SKA over here on the left. Remember, when you put an alpha privative, you know that now, when you put an alpha privative on the front of a Greek word, what does that mean? Opposite. So on the left, you've got those without form. In other words, bad form. In other words, um, lacking good taste. In other words, those people that just, you know, you ever say to somebody, bad form, you know, uncool, not very together, or unseemly, or indecorous, you know, come on, don't you have any manners? Come on, were you born in a barn? You know, what's wrong with you? You don't know how to fit in. It's like, you're just kind of like, you know, you're kind of, it's kind of embarrassing, you know, kind of thing. He's saying, there are, there are some members of the body that in the world's view, we look at, again, they don't have good form. They're kind of embarrassing. They're kind of those people that go, oh, brother, not them again. You know, is that, is that not good? You know, you know what I'm saying? And he's saying, actually, those in the kingdom, see the word, see U-E on the beginning of, uh, on the right, there's the S-K-A word, but there's U-E on the beginning. In Greek, the U-A, I'm sorry, the E-U, the E-U means good. So he's saying actually in the kingdom, God looks at them and he says, good form. He says, in the kingdom, in the body, the ones that we think of in our appearance as bad form, the ones that we think of as embarrassing, you know, indecorous, unseemly, lacking good taste, oh, not them again. Those people, he says, those are 
in the kingdom's eyes, they are beautiful, graceful, have decorum. They are the ones that are decent, becoming noble, honorable. Isn't that amazing? God takes the people that in the world's view are not desirable, and God says, those are the ones I want. Those are beautiful to me. It's like, you know, anybody's mind blown? Say, what? So then lastly, the last contrast is in verse 24. And he says, God has composed the body, having given greater honor. There's the word on the right there again. Greater honor, Timae, to those parts which lack it. And that word, that's a different Greek word at the bottom there, the, the, which lacks it, it can be translated to be behind, to be later, to come short, or to be inferior. My favorite picture of this is if anybody ever played, um, anybody ever play um, like uh, at our school, when I was in elementary school, there was this kid named Bob Krupski. And uh, we had a lot of Polish kids in our, uh, in our school and neighborhood. Anyway, so Bob Krupski always brought his kickball to school. And so our favorite part of the day was um, recess time or lunch time because we got to play kickball. But because Bob Krupski always brought the kickball, he and whoever he chose, he would choose one other popular kid, and then they would get to choose the teams. Anybody ever been through this process before, uh, you know, te- choosing up teams? Was anybody here ever the last kid chosen? You know how that is. You know how that, you've seen that process work, right? It's like, you know, Bob Krupski and whoever else, they start picking. It's always the, the best looking, the most popular, the most talented. It goes on down the line. And as it goes, you can just see, you can just see the numbers dwindling. And by the time you get down to the last few, basically what they're saying is, we don't want any of them. <laughs> And, and basically, by the time it comes to the last two, what it basically amounts to is who has to take him? Whatever you call that, that's what he means when he says those parts which lack, or however he phrases it in your translation of verse 24, those parts which lack, those parts which don't have it, those parts that just come short, that are inferior, in the kingdom's eyes, God says, those are the ones I want. By the way, read your Old Testament sometime and, and find that to be true. The ones that were, would have been the last, can you think of any examples of that? The ones that nobody would have thought of, the ones that nobody would have said, yeah, him, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, the, the, it's always God's always, the, God's always choosing the ones in the Old Testament that you would go, What? Him, her, what? New Testament, you do know that that's what the disciples were. Book of Acts says they were amazed because they knew that they were uneducated and untrained men. You ever thought of the disciples that Jesus chose as a bunch of guys that walked around scratching themselves all the time? I mean, that's who they were. They would have been chosen last on kickball every time. They were bottom of their class. They were uneducated, untrained men. And yet God says, that's the ones I want. So over, I don't know if you noticed this in all three examples, but did you notice the word greater all three times? 
Verse 23, those members of the body which we think less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Verse 24, and our presentable parts have no, but God has composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. And so in all three, that word greater, the, the least, the, the word greater, by the way, there means above greater, above measure, more, or surplus. So every time God's saying, Paul's saying, do you guys get the shift? Do you get the, the opposite effect here? The, the ones that we didn't think, the ones that we would not have chosen, the ones that we in first impressions were not impressed with at all, God says every time, these are the ones that are greater, above measure, more, they are the surplus, they are the ones that we want in the kingdom. Is that the way I think? Do I think that way? I guess I already asked this with the kickball example, but have you ever been the one that's been left out? Have you ever been the one that wasn't good enough? You ever been the one on the outside of the, you know, there was the, and then there's you. You're, you ever the one not included? Have you ever been the one that wasn't good enough? You ever been the one that wasn't cool enough? You ever been the one that couldn't fit in? That, that's kind of hard, isn't it? Paul's saying that that's who God has. And by the way, is there anybody I do? Is there anybody that I'm doing that to at this very moment? Sometimes I don't even know I'm doing it and don't even mean to. Maybe sometimes, Jesus, could you give me a greater awareness in my life that even when I'm among friends and even when my heart's sincere, maybe I'm, maybe, I'm not, maybe I'm not even aware, my heart's sincere and my heart's true and I just love people, Jesus, is there sometimes you need to just open my eyes and lift my head up a little bit because maybe my tendency, and I'm saying this in sincerity for myself, maybe my tendency sometimes is I just... I have my people that I love and hang around with, and Jesus, maybe you need to just open my purview a little bit, or maybe there's somebody else that we need to kind of bring in. So that's hard. Paul says, I want you to be aware, folks. I want you to be aware. So who are, I say it this way, who are the unpresentable parts in my life? Who are the ones that Jesus has placed right in my view? Who are the ones that Jesus has placed right in my circle that are the people that the world, from a worldly view, might look at and say, not good form, embarrassing, won't help your popularity, can't do anything for you, will probably make you look bad? Who are the unpresentable parts in my life, and how do I treat them? Anybody today in your life that Jesus would bring to mind, the Holy Spirit bring to mind, yeah, Lord, I, can, I know exactly who you're talking to me about. I know exactly who you're talking to me about right now. Or I, I know exactly, I know who you're getting at, Lord. And how today then would, have I gotten it wrong? Because what he's saying is, whoever the Holy Spirit brought you mind, those are the honored in the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Those are the people that are the honored in the kingdom, and this is the way things are. So, 
how, how do I, how have I gotten that wrong maybe? And so how would I, how can I be a part of honoring those people today? How can I be a part of lifting those people? Not just some token way, hey, say, you know, be nice to them one day and hey, that's great. I feel better about that because I, you know, I said hi to them or whatever. I'm talking about Paul saying, how can we embrace that person that the world will look at as on the outside, keep them out there? How would the Holy Spirit take me and just embrace them and bring them in to the body. Because he's saying, this is the way it is, folks, a minute ago. I'm telling you, he says, we're going to find out in heaven. This is the way it really is. So one more thing. He gets that in verse 25. Watch my time. God's, de- God's design, by the way, when, when we live that way, you know, like the Corinthians at the, uh, the high school cafeteria thing, it ends up being a very divided, you know, you're all divided. You know, you don't, you, you keep, you know, keeping your place, I keep in mine, we keep our little, our little things here. But he says in verse 25, God's, God's desire is that there be no Division. The Greek word is schisma. Ever, anybody ever heard of the word schism? schism? We get the English word schism from the Greek word schisma. And so he says in verse 25 that all of this, all of this, that there should be no, the reason God wants to give us this view, the reason he wants to give us this kind of eyes is so that there, be, there is no schisma, no division in the body. Now, that's very strong in the language. In the Greek, you guys don't need to know all this, but in the Greek, there's a, there's a word hena plus this word. Uh, there's a, the verb is in a subjunctive mood. And all that to say this, it's God's desire. This is God's strong desire. And yet the Corinthians were very familiar with division in their church, as we said. If you look at their church, it's very, very divisive. Just flip back with me real quick. Just go back real quick. Chapter 1, I promise I won't keep you longer here. Chapter 1, verses 10 to 13, he says, I plead with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. You guys are split church. You're split church. You guys got all your little clicks, all your little divisions going on here. We saw in chapter 3, we looked at it the other day, first few years of chapter 3, there is, there, is, there is strife and envy and divisions among you. Therefore, are you not still carnal and behaving like mere men? And then chapter 11, we've already talked about a little bit about their little cliques, their high school cafeteria scene there at the, at the Lord's Supper. So now he says, even in the spiritual gifts, you guys are making that a division too. Now in the spiritual gifts, you guys can't help yourselves. You're, you're so into this appearances and yourself and making yourself important that now not only have you been divided in that and that and that, even chapter 7, you're divided in your marriages, all this stuff. Now you come to the spiritual gifts. Now you even, you've even made that a source of division by insisting that there's only one spiritual gift above all else, and now you're even divided about that. See, that's not God's design. God's design is that there be no division. Amen? No division. Now, again, isn't it a beautiful thing that in the body of Christ, we don't all have to agree on everything? 
But if Jesus is the focus and if he's working in us and through us all and we're surrendered and he is in the process of sanctifying us, praise God, that means we don't always have to agree on everything, but he can make us one and no divisions. So no divisions. And then look at what he, what he says also in verse 25. So much so, same div no divisions among you. And then he says that the members should have the same care. Wow, we'd have the same care. We're talking about a deep care. That, that word in Greek is like a very, very deep care, like what you're really passionate about, like we care about each other in that same way. There is a seriousness about it. We act in unity. Notice he says in verse 23, we bestow. It's like we're acting all together in unison. And then look at verse 26, the amazing, what I would call mutuality that is described that God desires for us in the body. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. There is this amazing, just when we let him work in our hearts, he begins to give us this, this heart for one another and this amazing unity and mutuality that doesn't happen when we're focused on appearances and ourselves. But the key to that is that I can't have that kind of vision without his values becoming internal in me. That's why this whole letter is about Jesus in you and through you, because guess what? We can't just snap our finger, for any Marvel fans, the snap, we can't just, we can't just snap our fingers and all of a sudden we all think that way. Okay, we need to be more unified. We need to stop thinking like the world thinks. We need to stop viewing each other on appearances only. We need to stop being self-focused and being cliquish in the church. Okay, snap our fingers. Our, our church board voted unanimously. The whole congregation voted unanimously. Starting next Sunday, we're going to be more unified and start including people. It's going to have to be a heart change. Internal values is what produces vision. I think I've heard something like that before. I'm pretty sure. It is the reversal of values that allows for relationship, for the mutuality instead of division. I hear a lot of talk about vision and values in our day. I, I hear, I'm at churches and I hear about talks about we, you know, we have our core values, we need to have a vision statement and things like that. Did you hear that kind of thing? That's important, right? We need to have God's values, we need to have vision statement and all that. Can we kind of make it strategic? You know, we have meetings and you know, let's come up with a, I'm not against that, just vision statement and values and all that kind of stuff. So I, I've been thinking, and even as I listened this week, I got a, I got a vision for you. You guys ready for it? Ready for a vision for the church? Here's, how about this? Be thou my vision. O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with me and thou with me, Lord. I, thou my great father, I thy true son, thou in me dwelling. How about this for a vision of the church? Jesus be our vision. You be our all-consuming vision. And that to me, everybody, today sounds like a holiness message. 
Jesus, we really need to view the world and people the way you view the world. So, Jesus, we're inviting you to come in and give us your heart, your mind, your vision, and your values. We can't do it. Would you please come in us and cause us to think and feel and to see? In fact, Jesus, I don't want to see with my own eyes anymore. Give me your eyes. I don't, want, I don't want to feel with my, I, you, you feel through me, you think through me. Let, let me have the mind of Christ. Be thou my vision. So today, what, what am I pursuing? Are there any appearances as we finish up, as we wrap up? Is there any appearances I'm pursuing? Know this today. He is in pursuit of us, amen? He is in pursuit of us, and he wants to. The desire of God today is to take our very poor values John Juneman's very poor evaluating system of people and things and say, would you today let me give you mine? Dr. Chris Lorstorfer from Wesley Biblical Seminary calls it the exchange life. Jesus, I surrender to you all that I am. Would you come and be in me all that you are? Give me your vision and values. So are there any appearances or vision that I'm holding on to? God, this is the way I always wanted myself to be or look. This is what I always thought my life would turn out to be. This is the way I want to see things with my life. I want to surrender that to you today. And let me give you, let you give me yours. May he do that today. Jesus, thank you for your willingness and ability to work beyond us. And uh, I know today, for one, if no one else here, I, I, I really need you to change uh, any semblances or remainders of uh, my vision and my tendency to view things based on appearances. Would you give me your eyes today and give me your heart? Would you work in me more, work in us more, to see people the way you see them, to embrace with your embrace? We love you today. Thank you. Pray that you'll do that all across these grounds today. Give us your eyes to see the people you've placed within our, within our circle. We love you. Pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. We'll see you shortly.